This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I can count a million times people asking me how I can praise you with all that I've gone through. The question just amazes me. Can circumstances possibly change who I forever am in you? Whoa, whoa, Maybe since my life's changed Long before those rainy days It's never, ever really crossed my mind To turn my back on you, oh Lord The only shelter from the storms But instead, I draw closer to these times So I'll pray Bring me joy, bring me peace Bring the chance to be free. Bring me anything that brings you glory. Cause I know there'll be days when this life brings me pain. But if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus, bring the rain. Whoa, whoa, I am yours regardless of the clouds that may loom above Because you are much greater than my pain Cause you made a way for me by suffering your destiny Tell me what's a little rain So I'll pray Bring me joy, bring me peace, bring the chance to be free, bring me anything that brings you glory, cause I know there'll be days when this life brings me pain, but if that's what it takes to praise you, Jesus bring the rain, whoa, whoa. Is the Lord God Almighty? Is the Lord God Almighty? I forever singing, holy, 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 holy. Is the Lord God Almighty? Is the Lord God Almighty? Everybody sing it. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. 
Only He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the Lord God Almighty. Cause you are holy. You are holy. He's the Lord our God, He's the Lord our God, Lord God Almighty, holy, 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 He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Tim. I love that song. and I love that guy. Isn't he a pretty good guy? Uh, even, if, even if he is from Nevada, why, he's still a pretty good guy. This is part four of our series that we're calling Restart. And in each lesson, I've reminded you that our faith must have a starting point. It's not something that we can just automatically inherit because we live in the Bible Belt of the USA or because our parents serve Jesus. There must be a starting point where, as the Bible says, old things pass away and new begins. But then many times we find ourselves maybe not necessarily abandoning our faith, but we let it become mechanical or shallow or lukewarm. And so the focus for this entire series is that at times we need a spiritual restart. Now today we're going to tackle something that I think probably all of us have wrestled with at some point along the way. I, I know I have. But I want to talk to you about the role of rules in our faith. It seems that every church, every denomination, and even every religion has pesky rules. Islam has rules. They call them the five pillars. Buddhism has rules. In fact, I was researching some of the rules that they have for their monks, their spiritual leaders, and just to see if someday I might want to become a Buddhist monk. Uh, but then I came across the rule that says, eat, uh, eat. Temperately and not at all in the afternoons. Ladies and gentlemen, just one reason I won't become a Buddhist monk. <laughs> Judaism has rules. And I went ahead and read their list of 613 rules. And you can find that. And, and one of them said you were not allowed to wink or skip with a member of your own family because it might lead to incest. And then in Christianity... Well, we've taken rules to a new, new level. We, we've come to think that when it comes to rules, more is better. So therefore, we have dress rules, we have hair rules, we have music rules, we have political rules, we have platform rule, rules. And I, I heard of one church that had platform rules where people who were divorced, they could not sing a special up here, but they could sing a special from right down there. That's called a platform rule. Now, the Church of God Holiness at times has been famous for some of its rules, but, but I found that we're really no worse than other churches. As I've traveled to different countries and visited different churches and different denominations, I, I've seen more rules 
than you can shake a stick at. Whatever that means, Chance, sorry. Uh, but, but I've been in churches that wouldn't let you wear the color red. Because evidently at one time that was a color for prostitutes. And sorry for those of you that are wearing red today. I've been in churches where men were not allowed to have sideburns. And that was put in place to stop the Elvis Presley lamb chop sideburns that were popular 35 to 40 years ago. And, and don't tell anybody this, but I used to have lamb chop sideburns. Um, but I never could sing and shake like Elvis. That was the problem there. I've been in churches where their policy was to partake of, of communion every Sunday, but then I've been in churches where their policy was to never partake of communion because they believed all the sacraments were nailed to the cross. I, I've been in churches where you could not watch a movie, you know, in a movie theater, but you could go home and watch the same movie on your television. And then I've been in churches where, where you could not watch a movie on a regular television, but you could watch... A movie on a computer monitor. Figure that one out. I've been in churches where men were supposed to sit on one side of the church and women on the other. So every church has their rules. And, and, and for many of us, and, and, and maybe at least in, in my generation, I think that some of us, because of those rules, we've carried a lot of guilt. Because we never felt we could measure up. And so we walked around defeated, full of shame. So in this series, Restart, where we're trying to come back to the foundational aspects of our faith, I, I feel we need to address this matter of rules and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's begin with this premise. The presence of rules always assumes some kind of relationship. In other words, if you're accountable to a particular set of rules, generally you're in some kind of relationship, maybe, maybe with a church, maybe with an organization, maybe a club, or maybe even with an individual. And so to help us get us going in the right direction, let me illustrate, illustrate rules from two different perspectives. And you could add to these, but we'll, to simplify, we'll just limit it to these two. The first perspective is one that we will call the family model of rules. Now, the family model is this. You're born into a family, and then as you begin to grow up, as you begin to mature, your parents start making rules. Now, they don't make you, they don't make rules so that you can be part of the family. You're already that. But they establish some rules because as a child that they dearly love, they believe that certain rules will help keep you safe and healthy and make you more responsible and prepare you for life. For example... Most parents will establish the, the rule that as a little kid, when you finally get some teeth, you need to brush your teeth. Um, and so parents start out brushing the teeth and, and then gradually you take on that responsibility and that becomes the rule. You need to brush your teeth, you know, a couple of times a day or so. Well, as you transition into grade school, uh, your parents will add more rules. You know, it's time for you to start learning to take your plate over to the sink. You need to learn to pick up your toys, maybe make your bed. And you can play outside, but in no way can you cross the street by yourself. That's a rule. Well, when you get into middle school and, and you, you turn into whatever middle schoolers turn into, uh, no words to describe that, but, but your parents heap more and more rules on you because they don't know what else to do with you. Well, then in high school, you get your driver's license, and so there are curfew rules and, and texting rules and dating rules. 
rules to help keep you safe and hopefully out of trouble. So again, you have rules not to become part of the family, but rather because your parents love you and they feel that certain rules will give you some guidelines for learning responsibility and and just proper living. That's the family model of rules. Now, the second model is what I call the business model of rules. And, And this model is a bit different because here in this model, you agree to keep certain rules in order to begin the relationship. You know, for example, you become an employee of a certain business and so they give you a job description and you agree and make a commitment to abide by the rules and and the rules are what get you in. If you don't agree to the rules, you're not in. So in the family model, you get the rules after the relationship is established. Um, In the business model, you get the rules first in order to establish the relationship. Now, I think that's all clear. We all understand that. But the problem comes in when we take these models of rules and try to transfer them to our relationship with Jesus. And we debate, okay, do rules precede the relationship and become the determining factor if you know if we can get into the relationship with Jesus? Or, or do rules have nothing to do with the relationship and they're just put there to help protect and give guidance to those who are already in the relationship? Well, hear me out. The truth is that neither model can completely and accurately define our relationship with Jesus. Now, oftentimes we, uh, we, we will adopt a particular model and say, well, the business model is the way to find salvation. You know, you got to start doing this and stop doing this. And, you know, you smoke and so, well, you got to quit smoking. Or you chew and so you need to quit chewing. Or, or you drink a lot of tequila and you've got to quit drinking or you cuss like a sailor and so you've got to quit cussing or or you don't read your Bible and you need to start or you don't pray before you eat so you need to start doing that. And so in this model, we basically promote that before you can even pray the sinner's prayer and find salvation, you've got to follow the rules. You've got to be squeaky clean to get in, which, by the way, is not biblical. Salvation is by grace through faith. You cannot find salvation just by cleaning up and following a bunch of rules. Well, then on the other side, you have those who say, no, 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 no. When when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, it's the family model. And so we emphasize that once you're part of the family of God, he gives us some rules that we need to follow. And if we don't follow, then he will grieve and it will hurt him and he will discipline us to bring us back into fellowship. But regardless of what happens, you know, we're still part of the family. We'll be always part of the family, which... Frankly, I don't believe that model gives an accurate biblical picture either. Be very careful about using rules of logic to define our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you look at matters of God, when you look at matters of salvation, there's nothing logical about it. In fact, it's the opposite. It's illogical. Salvation doesn't make sense. And so don't try to force the business model of rules or the family model of rules and transfer them directly to our relationship with Jesus because they won't completely fit. Now, to help us wrestle with this question, and and I say wrestle because I think we've all wrestled with this. I want us to go back to all the way back to one of the oldest set of laws ever given. 
Now, it's not the oldest. Scholars believe that the oldest set of laws given was the Code of Ur-Namu, which 2,100 years before Christ, uh, written on, on tablets. They believe that's the oldest. And then the second oldest, they believe, would be the Code of Hammurabi, which uh, around 1790 B.C., but, but then the Ten Commandments is considered to be the third oldest set of, of written rules, laws on record. And, and God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses in and around the year 1446 B.C., before Christ. Now, the interesting thing is that, you know, we know there are Ten Commandments. But few of us could name them all. You know, we could name three, four, five. If you're really on your game, maybe six or seven. I doubt if I could name all ten of them just off the top of my head, I would really have to think about them a little bit. Now, today we're not going to study the Ten Commandments, but we want to focus our thoughts on the prelude or or the introduction to the Ten Commandments because that there are two very short introductory verses that are powerful verses, and we will gain some amazing insight as to what role do rules play in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, before we go there, just kind of out of curiosity so that this message isn't too short. You know, I don't want to let you out too early if that ever happens. But let me ask you a, a few survey questions regarding the Ten Commandments. Okay, you got your thinking caps on? First question, how many commandments are in the Ten Commandments? Just testing you, okay? Second question, what's your favorite commandment? Hmm. You hadn't thought of it in terms of having a favorite commandment, had you? Um, okay, how about this one? You've thought about this one probably. What is your least favorite commandment? Probably you wouldn't admit this out loud, but maybe um, thou shalt not commit adultery. Actually, probably some people would answer, well, they're all my least favorite. All right, here's another question. Could you turn right to the Ten Commandments in the Bible? Or would you have to say, you know, I know they're in the Old Testament someplace right near the beginning. Let me thumb through them and I'll come across it shortly. But, you know, today's your lucky day. And I'm going to tell you where to find the Ten Commandments. And that way, if you don't get anything else out of today's lesson, you can at least say that you learned where the Ten Commandments are found. So I want you to repeat after me, okay? Exodus. 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 20. 20, 20, Exodus 20. So where are the Ten Commandments found in the Bible? You are so incredibly smart. All right, we got to roll. Last week, we left off our lesson in Genesis chapter 15. Today, our lesson is going to be in Exodus chapter 20. And so to get us from Genesis 15 through Exodus to Exodus 20, we're going to cover 55 chapters. Does that worry you a little bit? We're going to go supersonic speed, though. We learned last week that Abraham received a promise from God that he was going to be a great nation. But the problem was that Abraham and his wife didn't have any children. And and they kept having birthdays and getting older and older. And Sarah kind of panicked one day and said, Abraham, I'm over the hill and... There's no way that God's promise will actually come to pass where I can have any kids. But, but Abraham, my maid, is still young enough to have kids. 
And so Abraham said, and this is just kind of in my own words, but, but he, uh, so, so Abraham, uh, Sarah said, I'll just kind of leave the house for a little bit, if you know what I mean. Let's have a kid through her. And we'll raise the kid and the kid will be ours. Sure enough, the handmaiden turns up pregnant, gives birth to a boy named Ishmael. Well, Sarah also turns up pregnant, gives birth to a boy named Isaac. And some of you would know this, but Ishmael would become the father of the Arab people. Isaac would become the father of the Jewish people. Isaac then had a son named Jacob. Jacob then had 12 sons. They eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of these sons was named Joseph. His brothers did not like him. They sold him into slavery. He went to Egypt. And over time, he eventually ended up becoming the prime minister of Egypt. Some of you would remember how there was a famine in the land. And, and Jacob and his sons heard there was plenty of food in Egypt. And so all of them, Abraham's grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, ended up in Egypt. Abraham's family, they are multiplying like rabbits. And so the Egyptians go to Pharaoh and say, hey, if we don't do something about these Hebrews, there will be more Hebrews than Egyptians. So they put them to work as slaves. And, and for 400 years, the family that originated from Abraham is a slave nation. Generation after generation after generation, all they know is slavery. And when they would get together, they would tell once upon a time stories about Father Abraham and say, children... A long, long, long time ago, we had a relative. His name was Abraham. And, and God promised him that one day his family would be a great nation. And maybe about that time, a teenager in the back would raise his hand and say, so, so let me make sure I understand this. You're saying that we're that great nation, even though we're slaves. Well, son, yes, I, I know it's hard to understand. I know it seems hopeless, but we are that nation. Well, one day out of the clear blue, a, a man shows up in Egypt. His name is Moses. And, and he goes to Pharaoh, and let's just all say it together. He said, let my people go. And you remember how Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And so Moses basically says, watch this. And over the next few days and weeks, the laws of nature begin to completely freak out as, as God orders them to do things that normally don't happen. And they have plagues of locusts and boils and, and frogs. And it goes on and on. And before you know it, Egypt's crops are, are destroyed. Their water is contaminated. Their whole economy is wrecked. Moses keeps saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh, after a particularly bad plague, would say, sure, leave. But then he would change his mind and say on second thought, no way, you're staying. Well, finally, God, through Moses, speaks to the Jewish people. And he said, God has one more plague. But before he sends that plague, there's something very important that we need to do. Tonight, before you go to bed, I want you to slaughter a lamb, which they did all the time. And I want you to have a meal, which they did all the time. But he said, this time there's something I want you to do that's different. After you slaughter the lamb, I want you to take the blood of the lamb. And I want you to put it over the top of the doorways and, and down the sides. And, and I can imagine that some of the people were like you and I would be Moses. Why would we do that? And Moses would say, God just wants us to trust him. And so that night, the Jewish people had a special meal and, and they slaughtered lambs and, and they took the blood of those lambs and, and put it over the top of the doors and down the sides and, and they packed everything they had because they were told the next day they would be leaving. And again, there had to be some skepticism. Moses, we've been here stuck as slaves for 400 years. 400 years. We're leaving tomorrow. And, and Moses would say, yes, I know it sounds far-fetched, but 
God wants us to trust Him. And you know the account. That night, the angel of death went into the land of Egypt, struck down every firstborn, but it passed over every household where the blood was over the door. And the next morning, as you can imagine and understand, Pharaoh was more than willing to let the people go. And he said, leave. Take everything you own. And I don't even care. Take everything we own. Just leave. Get out. Go. And from that moment on, and I want you to listen to this as we get to the heart of our lesson. The Jewish people would celebrate the feast or the festival of Passover. Why? Not to remember the Ten Commandments. Not to remember the rules. Not to remember the law of God. But to remember this night when God whispered to the nation of Israel, I just want you to trust me. And as you trust me, you will find deliverance from slavery in Egypt. So Moses leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And and about three weeks later, they end up at Mount Sinai. And that's where God would give them the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up Mount Sinai and, and God gives this nation their first set of written laws. And where can you find... The Ten Commandments? So finally, we come up to the prelude, or the beginning, or the introduction to the Ten Commandments. And this will give us major insight as to how rules fit into our relationship with God. Here's the prelude. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words... And then the second, oh, the second verse is so powerful. It says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, we've covered 55 chapters in about five minutes, and, but now we're going to slow down, slow way down, because you need to catch this. And, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I, out of all my years and in living and in ministry, this prelude had never made an impact on me before. But it's so full of meaning. God says, I am the Lord, your God. I'm the Lord, your God. Now, what's significant about that? Well, if God is saying, I am the Lord, your God, then that would make them his people. So follow along as we try to piece this together. The Israelites have been slavery for 400 years. And God says, I am the Lord, your God, who sent a deliverer during your darkest hour when you had given up hope. When Abraham's story had become so old, it was almost like a fairy tale. When you didn't expect it, when the Egyptians didn't expect it. I am the Lord, your God, who delivered you out of Egypt. Now, this introduction to the Ten Commandments is so significant. Because in this prelude, it's as if God is saying, okay, before I give you the Ten Commandments, before I give you the rules, I just want you to know you're mine and I'm yours. I've delivered you out of a life of slavery. And I want to make sure this is super clear. Before we start talking about rules, I am yours, you are mine. And so the rules that I'm about to give you, God is saying, will give you some guidelines to protect you and protect your marriages and protect your health and and protect your possessions and protect your relationships with each other. But remember, these rules are not about establishing a relationship with me because I am the Lord, your God, and you are my people. Isn't that 
so amazing. Because I believe that right there helps us understand the role of rules in our relationship with God. Now, it didn't have to be that way. It could have been completely conditional. God could have said, hey, here are ten rules, and, and, and I want you to check the box by each rule and, and by each commandment. When you've checked all ten of them, you know, you can come to me and apply to be able to get into a relationship with me, and we'll send it before the committee. You know, the Godhead, the Trinity... God could have very easily done that. But God said, no, I'm about to give you the rules. But remember, I'm the Lord, your God, and you are my people. Now, here's what's super significant about this. And, and this hit me in such a powerful way last Wednesday. I was alone in my office. I was, I, I was studying. I was trying to prepare my heart. And, and I began to realize that right here at, at Sinai, 3,500 years ago, God was beginning the process of instilling into the hearts and minds of people that salvation is not by rule-keeping. We can never be good enough or smart enough or rule-keeping enough to earn our salvation. 3,500 years ago, God was beginning to instill into the hearts and the minds of humanity this concept. Furthermore, Here in the early stages of history, the history of mankind, God was paving the way for Jesus Christ and establishing the fact that without a deliverer, we are hopelessly lost. And just as God sent Moses to deliver the people out of slavery, 1,500 years later, God would send His Son Jesus as a deliverer. And in a sense, just as Moses did, Jesus would turn the laws of nature upside down and he would heal the sick and restore sight to the blind and, and calm the winds and walk on the water. And, and what began through the faith of Abraham and continued on through the faith of Moses and the nation of Israel as they sacrificed that lamb on the night before their deliverance would lead Jesus to a hill called Golgotha where He would become the ultimate sacrificial lamb that would not only lead us out of slavery, but would take away the sin of the world. So what role do rules play in our relationship with Jesus? Well, relationship precedes rules. Catch that. Relationship precedes rules. But hear me out. This does not negate nor minimize the rules that God has given us for holy living. The rules that God has given us through the Ten Commandments and other rules are not to be taken lightly. Again, they protect our marriages. They protect other relationships that we have. They protect our belongings. They protect us from seeking other gods that will not and cannot satisfy. And listen, listen, listen. If we break those rules and go into sin, God cannot and He will not overlook sin. Because the Bible says that sin separates us from God. You know, when the prodigal son strayed away and finally came back home, what did the dad who was a picture of God say? He said, he said my son, which was lost, or another translation said, which was dead. And this would had been a son that had been living with the father, but he strayed away and the father said, my son is lost. The wages of sin is death. But thank God, the gift of God. And what is that gift? It's not rules. It's not the Ten Commandments. 
but rather the gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here's my wrap-up paragraph for this morning. Rules cannot lead you into a relationship with Jesus. That's by grace through faith. But failure to keep God's rules, and I'm talking about God's rules, not man's rules, but God's rules, they will lead to some serious consequences. So, let's maximize God's grace. But on the other hand, let's not be guilty of minimizing God's rules. Because God has given them for our protection. And really, when it comes down to it, rules, they're a safety net for us. And I know at times we have, we've kind of come up against rules and we have a bad attitude with rules. And there are a lot of man-made rules that are bad rules. But for the rules that are God's rules, you know, after we establish the relationship with Jesus Christ, there are rules that help protect us. So this week, I pray that God would just give us clarity and that we would understand the role of rules in our relationship with Him. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that down through the years, we've allowed rules to embitter us. God, we've uh, taken man-made rules and we've tried to bring them into your kingdom and we've made a mess out of things. Lord, thank you just for this little powerful insight and this prelude to the to the set of rules that you you gave Moses for us. Lord, thank you that you want to assure us that you are the Lord our God. Thank you for that assurance. Father, I want to just pray that you would also then give us the proper understanding of the rules that you give us for holy living. Lord, understand, help us to understand that they're there for our protection and we dare not take them lightly. The wages of sin, they do separate us from God. And so, Lord, we don't want to try to earn our salvation through rules, but, Father, we want to we want to live holy lives and I just pray that this week we would do that Lord the guidelines that you've set forth let us not just throw them off and just go to your grace but father we would understand that they're there for a reason that we would not take them lightly God we thank you for your word that has answers to satisfy Lord, just cerebrally, when we ask those questions, we thank you that we can go to your word. Emotionally, when we are struggling, we can go to your word. And spiritually, thank you that you give us the roadmap to heaven. So, Father, I want to pray a blessing upon these people as they go. And some will probably be traveling more this week with a holiday. Would you just uh, give traveling mercies? Lord, let us... uh, let us have opportunities opportunities this week to make a difference. God, I pray that you would send us into the lives of some people that we can actually uh, maybe influence for you. 
Thank you for your amazing grace. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Happy 4th to everyone. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.